Rabbi, we ask that you would teach us today your ways, that we would better understand uh, what it is to be your disciple and what it is to actually make other disciples for you. Empower us for obedience to you and to your word, the Bible. And I ask, as I speak today, these would be your words for your glory alone. I ask for your help and for your power in this moment to convey your message clearly and accurately uh, to your people. That is this church called Mercy Hill Church. Uh, through Christ we pray. Amen. There is a sermon series intro video. Let's uh, check out that and let it set the table for us. The idea with these sermon intro videos is to go as cheesy as possible, just to make you cringe so you pay then attention that it only gets better after that, hopefully, by the grace of God. Uh, what we're doing actually today in the next couple of Sundays, we're doing a brand new uh, sermon series. It is called The Pathway of Christian Discipleship. And we're doing uh, this series because a few months ago we did one of these church-wide surveys to get your feedback. And uh, one of the things that was identified from the survey was that we, the leadership, need to do a better job of communicating what is our discipleship pathway. Now, you might be asking, what is a discipleship pathway? Never heard of this term before. Sounds a little new agey to me. Maybe that's you. Uh, but we're going to revisit this. But in short, a discipleship pathway like that one is kind of like a roadmap showing you where things are going. Maybe you use navigation on your phone for driving around, making your way around Vancouver. Uh, you begin with your starting place, and then you have your destination in mind, and then the navigation until you get to your destination. Well, a discipleship pathway is kind of like your roadmap for learning uh, the ways of Jesus and being transformed into his likeness. Now, you might be asking, why would I want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and learn his ways and then incorporate his ways in my life you might ask that. You have to ask that question if you've never asked that question. Why? Why would I want to be more like Jesus and do life his way? Uh, well, that's a sermon unto itself, but in short, very, I'll just go give you the Coles Nose version for that. Why we would want to learn the ways of Jesus. The reason we want to learn the ways of Jesus is why wouldn't we want to learn the ways of? Why wouldn't we want to be transformed into the most loving, the most beautiful, the most life-giving, the most emotionally healthy most wise person in the universe, okay? The one who loves us most, has proven that great love for us most beautifully uh, on the cross. No greater expression of love has the world or universe ever seen than the love Jesus has for you and for me shown on the cross. So why wouldn't we want that, okay? So that's kind of the thinking. He's the best person to live for. He's the one we were made for, actually. But anyhow, we're going to look at this a little later as well. The next question is simply, when it comes to discipleship pathways is, let's back up, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And a disciple is simply a student, a learner, an intern of someone else or something else, or an apprentice. Let me submit this idea to, to get our thoughts along these lines. Here's the idea. Everyone in this room right now is a disciple of someone or something. We're all disciples in this room, okay? We're all apprentices of something. And there's layers to this, but let me explain. 
I think there's basically two categories. There's, there's good things to be a disciple of, and then there's maybe some not-so-good things called bad things to be a disciple of. Let me begin with some good things to be a disciple of. For me, uh, growing up as a boy, my grandfather discipled me in the ways of fishing, okay? And that's kind of how it works. You cast your line and reel it back in. Hopefully there's a fish on the, the end of your line. Everything I know about fishing is because of Grandpa. He was an expert fisherman, okay? This is a good form of discipleship because di fishing is awesome. It's good. It's awesome. You might hate it. My kids may hate it. I love it. I love it. Okay, chances are good. Someone in your life has trained you up as a disciple uh, in your line of work. This is another example. Uh, let's say you were trained up as an engineer or a carpenter. And so you're working a job today, you're probably discipled in some way to get to that job. And let's just use engineering and carpentry as an example. So you went to college or university or trade school. You learned sort of the theory of carpentry and of engineering. And then at the end of your education, you did maybe a three-month, six-month, 12-month, maybe 24-month internship or apprenticeship. Why did you have to do this internship at the end of that time of learning? Well, it's to put into practice all of that theory so you don't stay in sort of theory mode it, way up here. You've got to bring that theory down to the ground and put that engineering, put that carpentry skills into practice. These would be good forms of career discipleship, right? Other good kinds of discipleship would be taking dance classes, taking swimming lessons, driving lessons. Young people, please take driving lessons. Uh, working as an assistant to your boss, so maybe you're the assistant supervisor. You're in that role for one, two, three, maybe more years, and then one day you're trained up. You can now be the boss. These are all good forms of discipleship. But then there's other bad forms of discipleship. Let's just look at those so we cover everything. Bad forms would be becoming a disciple of the bottle, for example, uh, learning and practicing all the ways of, of booze, for example, um, or becoming a disciple of fentanyl, of drugs, a disciple of substances, and next thing you know, it's controlling you, you're not controlling it, and that's not helpful. Or a disciple of the Kardashians. Any Kardashian disciples here want to admit that? I'm kind of joking. But a disciple of celebrity culture where everything celebrities do and think you want to do and you want to think and they just want you to buy what they're selling. That's kind of what it comes down to. Um, but maybe being a disciple of a Kardashian is not a great thing. But anyhow, let me ask you this. Do you think that we're being discipled by social media in some way? Do you think Facebook is discipling us? Maybe Netflix, maybe Netflix could be our world's number one discipler today. You think, maybe? I mean, if we're spending literally most of our time on social media, most, you know, hours and hours and hours on Netflix every week, is it possible we're being more discipled by social media, more discipled by Netflix than we are of Jesus? Just something to chew on and think about. My hard-hitting question, if that wasn't hard-hitting enough, my really hard-hitting question for you is, who or what are you primarily becoming a disciple of? Who or what are you primarily becoming an intern, an apprentice of? Who or what are you trying to emulate your life around and become more like? Think about that for a second. As I mentioned before, not only is Jesus the very best person for you or anyone to become a disciple of, 
But also Jesus, he makes it very clear. He actually commands his followers. A Christian, by the way, is, is a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is a Christian. He commands all of his disciples, every Christian, to make him your number one discipler, your number, number one life trainer, your number one teacher, to make him, to love him first and foremost over and above all other things. He actually commands us, and we do this very imperfectly, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's intense. That's, that's ultimate loyalty, ultimate allegiance. And that's what he's demanding. That's what he's asking. That's what he's commanding. And so, yes, it's okay for Kurt to be discipled in the ways of fishing or dance. I'm not taking dance class. You might be. That's great. Or, or career, whatever. Those are all good. These are good things. But even if good forms of discipleship sort of supersede the influence and the impact of Jesus in your life, Things are out of order. Out of order, you see. Jesus demands your number one loyalty and love. He knows that that is what is best for you. If, if you're looking, if you're like, man, I haven't found what I'm looking for, Jesus is the one you're looking for deep down. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul. The only one. Do you, do you believe that? It's true stuff. There's the preamble for the entire series, okay? Over the next three Sundays, including today, we're going to be looking at disciple uh, definition, next Sunday, disciple disciplines, and then two weeks from today, disciple best practices. Bit of overlap between those last two, but important stuff, very helpful stuff. And I, this is Mercy Hills, and I would argue should be every church's discipleship pathway because we're getting the learning and the instruction about this discipleship pathway from the Bible. It's just out of the New Testament primarily. The roadmap is in the Bible, and let's just do what the Bible says, okay? That's kind of what we do as a church. So let me share with you now five basic definitions of what it is to be an apprentice learner of Jesus, disciple of Jesus. Firstly, in your notes, it is simply, I'm going to say it again, a disciple is an intern, apprentice, follower, learning, learner of Jesus. We're going to look at this more deeply here. Uh, Bill read from this passage, but let's now look again at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And it says, and he said to them, this is Jesus, said to them, Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The song, as I was rereading this this morning from my Sunday school, and there, there, there's a little bit of trauma from my Sunday school years and legalism and stuff, but there's some good things as well. And one of the good things was, I will make you fishers of men. And then it goes on, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you... There you go. Some of you have learned this song, and maybe Danny will be singing it at some point for us all. I, don't, I think he might resent that idea, but there's the basic, straightforward idea. It's not complicated stuff. From Jesus, to be a disciple, you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to follow the lead that Jesus is taking us into. We've got to watch Jesus. We've got to aim to be like Christ. We've got to simply do what Jesus did and does. He's given us the road map. You see, let's explain some of the context here. Back in the first century AD, uh, when this was written and when Jesus was re recruiting his own disciples, it was completely normal for you to see a rabbi with some disciples of his following him around all over the place, spending copious amounts of time uh, with this rabbi. This rabbi, by the way, was a, simply a Jewish teacher, uh, kind of a preacher in the synagogue, and he may have 
done some service in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And the way that these, these synagogues and the temple would recruit new uh, rabbis was to, because uh, they needed future rabbis, future pastors, future Bible teachers. Well, they, they would then invite these young guys to become disciples, followers of a rabbi. Makes sense. And so all over Judea in ancient Jerusalem back then, you would see this cluster of disciples following around this, this rabbi. If there's a lot of beards going on, that's probably what was going on. And the prayer shawl by the rabbi, that's like, okay, there's a rabbi with the, with the disciples. There it is. And the reason that they would spend copious amounts of time with the rabbi was simply uh, not only to learn the law of God and learn the Bible and stuff, but also to watch and learn what the rabbi is doing, how the rabbi is conducting himself. They would watch the rabbi's words with the, the person at McDonald's, for example, or, or at the marketplace. They would watch how the rabbi would treat his wife and treat his kids, hopefully in a, in a good, in a positive way. They would spend all this time to sort of understand this is what a rabbi looks like, sounds like. This is how he lives his life. That's how they made new rabbi disciples. So when it comes to Jesus, he encounters Peter and Andrew. That day, what are they doing? They're fishing. Why? That's their job, okay? They, what a job. That would be a, an amazing job and career to pursue, full-time fishing for salmon, okay? Um, so that's a great job. And so he comes upon these guys. What are they doing? They're, what are they doing? They're just doing their job. They're fishing, and he is basically just using a time-tested cultural model and method that was used by other ancient rabbis at the time to recruit these guys. And he recruits, eventually, 12 disciples to spend three years with Jesus, following him, absorbing everything that he's training them in, making him their number one priority. I want to circle back to Matthew 4.19 here for a second. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. Again, follow my lead do what I do, say what I say, learn what I teach. And if, if you disciples follow me, what does Jesus then promise that he will do in them and through them? He will make them fishers of men, fishers of people. That's incredibly powerful to think about. Again, this, is, this was their vocation. They were commercial fishermen. And the method more specifically, that these guys would use to actually bring in fish and then sell at the marketplace, the ways in which they caught fish were to use these large circular nets that had small rocks attached and tied to uh, the edges of these nets. And with time and experience, you would figure out the precise technique to cast your nets from your boat to then spread out effectively like a frisbee. So it's kind of like just giant frisbee throwing, okay? and they would throw them out into the water, it would hit the water, because of the rocks, the net would, uh, the, the, the rocks would pull the net down fairly quickly over top of fish, which would get trapped by the net, and then there was a rope attached to the net, they would bring in the net, and they would catch the fish. That's how it worked. So do you see the connection Jesus is making here with these fishermen? He's saying, just like you guys are catching fish using a net, I will make you, I will transform you, I will train you, I will empower you to show you what it is to fish for people, using your lives, using your words, using your skills, using your passions to draw in more people 
into the kingdom of God, to draw more people towards me. I want to ask you, Christian, by the way, you are a follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are a disciple, intern, apprentice of Jesus. And I'm just asking, how is Jesus currently making you into someone who is, who is proactively doing stuff to fish for people, who is proactively using you to invest in the lives of other people in your home first and foremost, but also in your workplace, on your street, in your neighborhood? What, how is he making you into someone who is drawing more people towards Jesus wherever you go? I mean, this is hard-hitting. I get it. One of the, the things that most Christians struggle with is reaching out with their faith. We all struggle with this, but we must, we must, we must initiate something, do something to win more people to Christ. This is our mission as a church. I mean, think about this. I mean, this is why people exist. Not just you, not just me, not just the people in this room. That's why everybody exists in the world today. They were meant to be with Jesus. They were meant to be in a relationship with God and to enjoy a relationship with God and give God glory. That's why they exist. That's why they're drawing in oxygen. So we get to be the people, putting this positively, we get to be the people to invite people to, to connect with the person that they were meant for. What an honor, what a privilege. We get to be a part of that mission as a church. Let's move on. That's the first defining aspect of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. A second defining aspect is simply a disciple, what is it? It is someone who has repented of sins and continues to daily repent. In other words, big repentance, and then we got little repentance. Big repentance, little repentance, maybe that'll stick somewhat. Imagine this, though, as I try to illustrate. Imagine we've got a deadbeat husband, a deadbeat dad, basically a dad or a husband that's just not doing what they're supposed to be doing, okay? And he is faced with this reality, and he is broken about it. He's like, for years I've been going the wrong way. And he has a family meeting and he talks to his wife and he talks to his kids and he's like, look, I'm sorry. I've been working way too much. I'm sorry for being emotionally distant from you guys. I'm sorry for drinking too much. And so I'm going to change my ways. From here on out, I'm going to change my ways. That's it. I'm going to do a better role, better job in my role for you guys. That's one scenario. A second scenario was over here. And let's imagine a politician. And let's imagine this politician standing up in front of the cameras, in front of the microphones, and he says, our government has dropped the ball. We have become experts in wasting taxpayer dollars. We have mismanaged taxpayer dollars. We own that. Uh, we've allowed corporate donors uh, to set our political agenda. And so that's bad, it's bad, it's bad. We're going to change our ways. We're going to change our ways. Now, the first scenario with the dad is probably more believable than the second one. But you, do you see my point? In some ways, we see repentance actually every day. To some degree, people owning their failure and trying to do better thereafter, right? Do we not see this periodically? Not often, but once in a while. And yes, it's not the full Christian definition of repentance, but we see it in part. And so that's kind of what this is about. Let's look more at the biblical definition of repentance. What is it? What is repentance? That's, is it just a religious word that's 
Misunderstood, yes, it is very often misunderstood, but it's actually not a complicated uh, biblical word. Uh, the, the Greek word for repentance is a word called metanoia, and it simply means this, a complete change of mind. That's repentance. Complete change of mind at the deepest level. Now, it's not like, okay, oh, you know, I ordered beef, but I want the chicken. McDonald's, can you make that well? I don't know if they, oh, yeah, they serve beef, don't they? Uh, <laughs> I want the beef instead, no, I want the chicken instead of the beef. That's not what this complete change of mind is like, by the way. It's not like just, I want this, oh, I know I want that. No, 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 that's not what it is to repent. It's much deeper. It's completely, completely changing your mind at the deepest level of who you are, and you're saying, I'm turning away from that, and now I'm going over here now. Complete change of life direction is what repentance is, big repentance. Imagine you've, you've driven a car. If you've ever driven a car, you sometimes need to pull what is called a UE. We used to call them a UE back in my youth days. Anyone call them a UE anymore? Is that a thing? Or is it pull a 180? Okay. In other words, turning your car 180 degrees around, you're basically driving north. No, I got to pull it, turn around, pull a 180. Now I got to drive south. All right. And, and Christian repentance is kind of like that in some measure, obviously deeper. Where on the day of your conversion, you hear the gospel. You hear that Jesus, he lived your perfect life for you because you can't live perfectly, but he, only a God can do that. He did that for you. And then on the cross, Jesus died for your sins. On that cross, he wore your sins. He was punished for those sins that you committed. So he became the sinner in that moment on the cross for you. And he died for you in your place. He paid the full wages of sin on that day of his crucifixion. He died But then three days later, he rose from the dead to defeat Satan, sin, and death for you forevermore. Now, his resurrection is your resurrection. He's won. He's beat death. Death is killed because of Christ. So you hear that gospel about Jesus. You hear about the greatest display, the most shocking display of love and self-sacrifice the universe has ever seen, and you're responding to that and you're cut to the heart. You are convicted. There is grief. There's remorse. There's regret in every way. Just like Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38 describe, it goes, now when they heard this, day of Pentecost, by the way, when they heard this, Peter has just preached about Jesus, they heard about Jesus, they were cut to the heart. There it is. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in that moment, you hear the gospel. You say, what should I do? My sin killed Christ. I can't believe that. I've been living my life apart from Christ, apart from God's direction, apart from God altogether. And you begin with repentance. That's what you do. You begin with repentance. Jesus, I'm so sorry for sinning against you. I'm so sorry for living my life apart from you. I repent. I wanna, I'm pulling a life 180 here, Lord Jesus. I'm turning away from living my own life, my own way, to now living life your way, which is the best way. That's what repentance looks like. That's big repentance on the day of your conversion. A change of mind at the deepest level of who you are. And it is freeing, let me tell you. Okay, so I've repented on the first day of my Christian life, the day of my conversion. Okay, so I've been there, done that. I got the repentance t-shirt, meaning I don't have to repent anymore. 
Fantastic. No more repenting. What a relief. Isn't this good? Wait a minute. Was I just preaching heresy right there? Yes, I was. The answer is clearly no. A disciple of Jesus, yes, big repentance, day one of your conversion when you become a Christian, yes. But also you must repent, I must repent day two, day three, day four, every day until we, we go to be with Christ in heaven. This is part of our discipline as a follower, disciple of Jesus. I want to prove this to you uh, by looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, speaking to Christians here, by the way, that's the context, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, context, he's speaking to Christians here, to disciples of Jesus. And if you, Christian, if you're trying to say, I have no sin, I'm good, I don't sin anymore. John says, deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. Even as Christians, we battle sin every day. We struggle with lustful thoughts. We struggle with lustful glances. We lie to each other. We lie to people in big ways, in very subtle ways. Uh, we get sinfully angry with our spouses, with our kids, right? We overdrink. We are jealous and envious of our boss who makes more money than we do. We are envious and jealous of coworkers who get more attention from other coworkers. I don't know. We attach, I think very wrongly, our identity to social, our social media presence more than we attach it to Jesus, meaning what happens on social media is more important than, than, how we, than a relationship with Christ over here. And that's, that's problematic. We sin every day, I believe. And if we, if we left it at that, we would be all depressed and we'd just give up on the Christian life, wouldn't we? But we don't. We can't. We, we must not. There's hope. Tim Keller explains uh, that the gospel of Jesus does this in us. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's a great quote. And so, my only hope, your only hope, our only hope, Mercy Hill Church, is to remember, yes, let's just face facts. We're far more sinful than we realized. The further along I get into my Christian life, discovering new sinful attitudes and sinful motives that I didn't even know were there. But they were there all along. And he's showing me more and more of the screwed up nature that I have and helping me go to work on those areas. I'm more sinful than I even dared or realized, but in you I am more loved and accepted, Lord Jesus, than I can ever fully conceive. So all I'm, I'm, what I'm suggesting to you, and, and this is the pattern we see in Scripture, disciple of Jesus, you, you must incorporate daily repentance with your daily time with Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit when you, you this is prayer, Holy Spirit, point out in me any sin that you see in my heart. Show me the sin patterns. Show me the sinful attitudes and the motivations. And he's like, what about this? What about that? What about this? That might happen directly in prayer, or very often it happens as you're reading Scripture. That's why we've got to read the Bible. Oh, I had no idea that that was a problem in me. Now he's showing me through the Holy Spirit using Scripture to point these things out. And then he shows them to us. And then in prayer, we say to Jesus, um, I confess these sins to you. 
And he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins, cleanse us again from all unrighteousness. And what a great hope this is. A couple more things on this point, so bear with me. Martin Luther identified this. You may know Martin Luther as a very important historical figure. He was the one that I believe God used to usher in what is known as the Reformation. Um, things were going really bad in the church at large at that time. God used him to wake the church up. And the first point, he had 95 points. So imagine a 95-point sermon. No one would, would stay here for that if I tried to pull that off. But he had a 95-point written sermon, if you will, called the 95 Thesis. And the first of the 95 Thesis was simply this, and I quote, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, in German, by the way, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So disciple of Jesus, you, me, we are to repent daily, continually. We sin daily. We've got to repent daily. Here's what I've noticed, and this is the second thing I want to mention before we move on. I have noticed that basically here's one category and here's another category. This category is a Christian who's actually changing and growing in their faith. This Christian over here, not so much, kind of staying in the same place, not moving any, no, anywhere, just staying in the same kind of stale place. What's the difference between the two? The difference is this one, this man, this woman over here has learned the daily discipline of little repentance, going to Jesus, never assuming that they're living sin-free, assume that they're, they're sinning in some way, and asking Jesus to examine them. He points things out in them. They're taking their sin to the cross again, receiving his grace and forgiveness to cover that sin. That's the difference. The growing Christian is humble enough to face that they don't have it all together, that they need Jesus every minute of every day. So they, they repent every day. And this Christian over here, I'm good. I'm good. I did the big repentance. I'm good. Everything's fine. No, they don't grow. We must. That's what disciples do is repent daily. Big repentance, little repentance. Let's move on to a third definitive aspect of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Number three in your notes, if you're following along, is simply a disciple trusts in Christ and his cross alone for salvation. Christ and Christ alone for salvation. That's whom we believe in and trust. You may be aware of this. Uh, there's a viral video that goes around in social media in and around every Father's Day every year. And it's hilarious. I love watching it because it's basically a video of various dads saving their children's lives um, or at least saving them from serious injury. Uh, in fact, here's one example. There's one example where there's a, a kid on a swing going back and forth. And then, sure enough, the, you know, it's just a toddler, I think, and the toddler falls backwards out of the swing, and the dad, with one hand, catches the toddler in midair and basically saves the poor kid from certain injury. Then the other example that's in the video is, is my favorite because there's this toy car going down the hillside, and it's actually headed towards some sort of collision or another kid or something or a tree, and the dad just makes a beeline. Like, he's loaded, clearly, with all kinds of adrenaline, and he, he makes a beeline to ca capture this toy car before a certain collision, and he prevents the crash. And it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. I love this video. I want you to now imagine, though, that these kids, the kid in the swing and the kid in the toy car, imagine these kids standing up and declaring to everyone around them, I'm so glad I saved myself. 
from certain injury or death. It's all me. Was that true? Was that true? Did they have any part in their salvation? No, it was dad, 110%. Dad saved the day, okay? Not you, kid. Do you see where I'm going? But you see, I bring this up and I explain it this way because tragically, what sometimes happens with some disciples, some Christians, sometimes you start to take more credit than you should for what God is doing in you, for your salvation and for your transformation. And we start patting ourselves on the back. Look at the, look at the addictions I've put aside now and I'm doing good and I'm just trying so hard for God. And I'm, I'm performing so well for Jesus now. I'm just, yeah, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's tragic. And we wouldn't say it that outright, but very subtly, this kind of sneaks in. And it's tragic because it's very clear in Scripture that thinking this way is actually anti-Christian. It's actually anti-gospel. It's very dangerous. Uh, look at, I want to look at one of my favorite Bible passages, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace, grace being God's unmerited, unearned favor, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. There it is. Not your own, like those kids trying to say, it was my doing. No, it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of good works or a good spiritual performance, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So a disciple of Jesus, you know what a disciple of Jesus does? All you do, all you can do is open your empty hands of faith. Ed Stetzer this last week had a a tweet. I do follow some people on Twitter. And he said, all we can offer Jesus when we come to him for salvation is our sin. I thought that was interesting. That's all we got. But we just open our empty hands of faith to receive. And we receive like a child from a parent. And we say, I want this saving, I need this saving grace. This grace I do not deserve. This favor I do not deserve. I didn't do anything to earn or merit your favor. Yes, I just want to receive it. By faith, I trust you. I want to become your adopted child. I want to receive your forgiveness. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you alone on that cross earned salvation for me, earned grace for me. You might think, this is so obvious, Kurt. Why are you stating the obvious here? No one actually believes this kind of thing. But how many people have I encountered over the years And this is an issue primarily with longer-time Christians. It kind of sneaks in. The self-righteousness kind of sneaks in very subversively, and it's very dangerous. I've seen it in my own life as well. But it also affects those who are not yet Christians. And how many people have I encountered, they refuse to get baptized as Jesus commands? Nope, not doing it. And I ask them, well, how come? It's not that big of a deal. You know, it's just sort of, you know, just it's a heart response. So, yeah, your heart has to be in it. But it's just, you're going to just, bam, two minutes, done. Say, no, I'm not going to get baptized. I say, how come? Well, they say, I got to get my own life together first, okay? I got to get my own life cleaned up first, and then I'll get baptized. I need to get cleaned up for Jesus so that he'll accept me, and then I'm in. By the way, if they persist in this thinking and they refuse to change their minds, do they ever get baptized later on? Not unless I can change their mind, which I think may have happened once or twice, but it's just, it's just wrong thinking. You start with baptism. You start with faith. All right? You believe. 
You repent. You get baptized. Then he starts to change you from the inside out. You can't expect him to change you before you respond to him with faith, repentance, and baptism. All right? It happens the rest of your Christian life. More I could say on this. I want to challenge you. What you and I need to do every day is to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's that idea of just remit in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for earning salvation for me on the cross. I don't deserve any of it, but thank you. Thank you. That's what preaching the gospel to yourself looks like. And you're reminded, it sort of kills that self-righteousness from growing within your, your heart very subtly. So that's why I keep saying... Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of who saves you and just express your gratitude and worship to Christ for earning salvation on your behalf. Jesus alone, Jesus alone, Jesus alone. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to just give you the final two fairly quickly here, okay? The final two defining aspects of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Number four in your notes, if you're still hanging in there, is this. A disciple is to be baptized by immersion. That's being dunked in water. By your own choice. Uh, we are a church that believes in what is called believer baptism, meaning no one is baptized who is not yet a, a true believer of Jesus. Uh, that's kind of what we see the pattern being in the New Testament. Acts 2.38, we already read it. Let me just read it again. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. It's not optional, okay? It's a command. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later, Acts 22, verse 16. Uh, this is where Paul, I believe, is baptizing the Philippian jailer and his family. Don't quote me on that. I think that's what it is. And this is what, these are Paul's words to them. And he's saying, now why do you wait? Why wait? Rise. Be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of Jesus, his name. Maybe some of you needed to hear that today. Why wait? Think about that. If you're on the fence, the baptism fence, why, why, why wait? There's no reason. It's not, a big, it's not that big of a... I mean, it is a big deal, but it happens fairly quickly, okay? Why wait? Rise and be baptized. And we would be thrilled to host your baptism as quick as next Sunday. That'd be great. We got a portable tank, man. It, it goes up in like five minutes. It takes about an hour to fill, but still, it's fairly brief. And we would be honored and thrilled for you to be baptized. If you're on the fence and you know if, you're, if you've sensed conviction for your sins that only Christ will save me, your heart has been captured with the love that Christ has for you on the cross, and you're ready to trust in him, you're ready. It's that simple. But here's what this boils down to. Disciples of Jesus are commanded to be baptized by their own choice. That's the pattern, clear pattern we see in the New Testament. In fact, we've had several baptisms here at Mercy Hill over the years uh, where people who uh, were raised in more traditional backgrounds, church backgrounds, they were sprinkled as babies. So they didn't have any say in that decision. Their parents did it for them. Um, and I'm not going to get into how horrific that is or bad that is. No, no, no. There are some good things that happened even at a sprinkling of, a, of an infant probably. But there was no choice there. So people have taken our membership class. We explain our approach to, to baptism, and they say, hey, I was sprinkled as an infant. Is that good enough? And we say, well, no, the Bible seems to indicate the pattern is by your own choice, by immersion, being dunked underwater. That's how Jesus was baptized. That's how we should be baptized. And then they say, you know what? I'm going to do that too, okay? I'm going to be baptized that way that we see the pattern to be in Scripture, by my own choice. 
And I love baptism Sundays. They honestly are my favorite events at Sunday morning worship. And someone is up there, they're declaring their repentance of their sins, they're declaring Christ is their one and only Savior, they need Christ, they want Christ, they're trusting in Him, and then they're dunked in water, and it's beautiful, it's, it's amazing. And the water in the baptism tank symbolizes uh, that their sins are washed away because of what Christ has done for them. It's amazing. And so if you would like to be baptized, to obey Christ, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it is a big deal and it's not, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we would be thrilled to host your baptism for you and just have a conversation. Make sure you have some faith in Jesus and repentance of sins and understanding that and uh, we'll host that for you. Let's move on to the final fifth aspect of what it is to be a disciple. It's simply this in your notes. A disciple replicates self in lives of others, making disciple, making disciples of Jesus. A disciple replicates self in lives of others, makes disciple making disciples of Jesus. Notice what Paul says to his protege Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, Timothy chapter two, verse two. It says, "And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also." So, in other words, take what you have heard from me, Paul says, and then share it, Timothy, with other faithful people, who will share it with other faithful people who will then share it with other faithful people, who will then share it with other faithful people. I could go on and on and on. But do you get the point? You know why we're here as Christians today? It's because Timothy did what Paul instructed, or somebody did what Paul instructed back then. The disciples of Jesus made disciple-making disciples of Jesus, and here we are today, 2,000 years later. Had they not replicated their own discipleship into the lives of others, we wouldn't be here as Christians and this is how it works. And so, disciple of Jesus, your mission, your job, and this is not optional. Hopefully, you find joy in this. This is not to be an obligation or a sense of, oh, I have to make disciples. No, it's like, I get to. I get to. I get to. And your job and my job is simply to replicate what Jesus has done in you into the lives of the people in and around you. And you first start, if you're married, in your marriage. You're to disciple one another in the ways of Jesus. And then, if you have kids, then you disciple your kids. No one influences their kids' walk with Christ or not than mom and dad, especially dad, as it turns out. And there's social studies in and around that. So you start with your spouse if you're married. Then you uh, disciple your kids if you have kids. And then you disciple church family members, people in your own church. And then you disciple those in your life, your coworkers. And, and the people in and around your street, people that live close by, and on and on, it sort of reverberates from there. And this is how it works. And, and why would we, why would Kurt, why would I withhold and keep to myself the greatest person who has done the greatest thing for me? What, how? Why? How could I keep Jesus in a saving message to myself? And I, I do this. I do this. But why? 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 I cannot. I must not. We must not. So, we've got to take what we've heard and entrust it to faithful people who will also entrust it to faithful people who will also entrust it to faith. See what I mean? Disciple making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. It's what we do. It's kind of, kind of our mission statement. See it in the bulletin there for Mercy Hill Church. We can do this with his help 
with his grace, with his power, with his wisdom. Would you pray with me as we land the plane? Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. We don't deserve any of this, and yet we get to get in with you, into your family, into your kingdom, and to be a part of your mission, and to be people who invite more people. We cast the net to draw more people to you, the one who loves them more than any other, the one who has proven the, the universe's greatest display of love in, in your life, death, and resurrection. And so motivate us, Holy Spirit. Send us out from here into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods to make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for your glory so that other people can get in on all the benefits, all the saving benefits, all the life-changing benefits that you freely offer to us that we do not deserve. It all comes from you. And we are so thankful that you allow us to be a part of your family. Lord, we come to you remembering the cross, remembering that without the cross we'd had nothing, remembering that it was your cross that earned salvation for us forevermore. And I pray that this time of remembrance takes hold of our hearts and minds today as we examine ourselves, confess our sins to you in this moment of taking the Lord's Supper together and just remembering how good you are to us. Lord, I pray that if someone is here who is not yet a Christian, that they would take that next step, have a conversation with me, have another conversation with somebody here who they think is a Christian to help them get connected with you. Pray that they would do that and have the courage to do so. In Christ we pray. Amen.